0: Well, um, we're going to be in Matthew chapter number 16, if you'd find your place there, Matthew chapter number 16. Let's stand in honor of God's Word. Had a real good late night men's prayer meeting on Friday night, and glad uh, for all the men that were able to come, and had two good messages that night, Brother Rv Yeager challenged us, and uh, Brother Randy Donahue really challenged us as well, it was really good, it's good for us to pray, and and um, uh, Brother uh, Al Mueller's here, missionary to Argentina, and he he joined in on the, um, he was there Friday night too, but in the 1040 prayer meeting and addressed uh, those that were attending that a week or two ago and, and said uh, from Jesus' words, you know, men ought always to pray and not to faint. And he made comment, I mean, this really helped me, this good, that if we're praying, we're not fainting, we're not giving up. But if we're fainting, evidently we're not praying. I think it's a good correlation, don't you? If you're praying, you're not fainting, but if you're fainting, you're not praying. And so that was very helpful. So the late night men's prayer meeting was a great, great help. All right, let's look at our text here this morning, Matthew chapter number 16. Matthew and chapter 16. We're going to begin reading in verse number 13. And then our actual text is going to be verse 18 through 20. It was actually part of another message two weeks ago, and we only got through half of the message. So now we're finishing that, that message. <clears throat> and uh, so I'm, I'm glad you came back for it. That's great. I told you two weeks ago, come back next Sunday. And I forgot I was out of town. Brother Ted preached last week. So anyways, it's a couple of weeks, but here we are again. So Matthew 16... We're seeing that Jesus is king. I don't mind to say that every week because it's true every week. Jesus is king. And so that's a great encouragement. Verse 13 of, of Matthew 16 says When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias or Elijah. Just a different spelling here. And others, Jeremiah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And that's an important question for everyone here to answer. In fact, the way you're living your life is reflecting how you answer that question. Whom say ye? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is he to you? Well, what matters most is who is he? But it also does matter by application who he is to you. Whom say ye that I am? Verse number 16, uh, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. <coughs> now verse 18. And I say unto you, based on what Peter had just acknowledged and really was reflecting what the disciples acknowledged, and I say, unto, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Against what? Against the church that Jesus started. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee keys of the, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, hang on. That doesn't mean Peter's at the gate in heaven. Uh, uh-uh. Those are bad jokes. <laughs> Nowhere near biblical. All right? That's not what Jesus is saying here. All right. He says, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now we've been studying about that in Matthew 6, 13 and following and other passages, the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. <coughs> in case I just don't get to it at the end of the message, that doesn't mean that what we determine here affects how things are there. It's actually the other way around how things are there ought to affect how things are here. That's actually what the tense of the verse is pointing out. Anyways, all right, preached the last three minutes of the message already. So, (laughs) verse 20 now, "...then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ." The reason for that was just simply this. It wasn't time for the kingdom to be set up, and people would have misunderstood. In fact, they all, his own disciples misunderstood that now's not the time for the kingdom. Now's the time for the church to be established and churches to be planted. See? All right. So now, if you want to tell people that Jesus is the Christ, go ahead. Okay, so today the title of the message is quite simply this, Conveyors of the Truth. Conveyors. Southwest Baptist Church is a conveyor of the truth. Let's consider that here this morning. Very, very important message, and I look forward to getting into it. So may God bless the reading of His Word as you're seated. We'll consider this really pivotal, in many ways, a central passage to the Gospel of Matthew. Good to have W.L. Smith and Miss Lucy back as well. They were down in uh, Costa Rica. And I uh, believe it, Brother Smith told me they saw 50, 51 saved in the meetings that they had. That's wonderful. It's true, rejoice in that. It's a blessing to uh, preach last week at uh, the Lakewood Baptist Temple in Lakewood, Washington, Pastor Josh Knuff. And uh, they're doing a great work there in that. Um, Seattle area, south of Seattle, Tacoma, and then you have Lakewood. And, and so this whole month, they are having a special emphasis, a special outreach. Uh, today is Kabayan Sunday, and they're trying to reach the, the uh, Filipino population. Cabayan means uh, countrymen, like we'd say countrymen, if I'm not mistaken. It's like uh, the countrymen of, of the Philippines. There's a lot of Filipino people living in uh, the Lakewood, Washington area. So they are having a big meal today of Filipino food. I gotta be honest with you, I wanted to stay just for the Filipino food. Oh my soul, have you had lumpia? And have you had Poncet? And have you had chicken adobo? Am I speaking anybody's language right here? I'm telling you, it's good stuff. And so they're trying to reach the Filipino population. Next Sunday is Piasano Sunday, which is uh, uh, fellow countrymen, uh, those of Hispanic descent. So they're gonna have... Uh, Hispanic food. And so they're going to reach people living there, you know, from Mexico and from uh, Colombia and Venezuela and other parts of of South and Central Central and South America. And so then then the next Sunday is Aloha Sunday. There are a lot of Pacific Islanders living there. In fact, I met a lot of people from Hawaii. And uh, then on the last night of the revival, there was a whole uh, pew full of people from Samoa. And there wasn't a whole lot of them, but they were big enough to take up a whole pew. Samoans are big people, big people. And I say that respectfully. I, I worked with, (laughs) I wouldn't mess with a Samoan. I guarantee you. I worked with a guy from Samoa and and we would take the pallet jack, you know, the, of the O'Reilly's truck and we would slide it in. He, if it was, the truck was full, we'd call Richard and he would take the pallet jack and poke it in the top of the, Bulk. It was unreal. I mean, this Samoan. And so anyways, they were, they're going to have Aloha Sunday and have Hawaiian food and such. And then the very last Sunday is Harvest Sunday. And that would be just uh, like a, you know, an American meal and, and inviting people to come. Well, what's the main point here? They're trying to reach people. They're trying to reach people with the gospel. We're doing the same thing here at Southwest Baptist Church, of course. Uh, next Sunday, actually, is Taking Aim Sunday. That's adults in ministry. In fact, I, I picked up one of the cards here, and it's got all the all the ministries of Southwest Baptist Church, uh, virtually all the ministries listed, uh, that you could get involved in because God didn't save you just for you to just go to heaven. He saved you to use you. And, and wants to use you to reach other people. So there's a way for you to get involved in serving the Lord. And, and then we're about to start a Sunday school campaign, a, a friendly uh, competition. Well, we hope it, it'll be a competition, not sure how friendly, between adult Sunday school classes. And who will go the extra mile? And the effort is to, is to get people back in Sunday school. Maybe some that have gotten away from the Lord or gotten out of the habit of coming to Sunday school. Let's get them back. Let's get them back, you know, and, and round up uh, people to come to Sunday school. And, and then also this, Sunday school ought to be an evangelistic arm. Yeah. Churches grew uh, when, when it's, they viewed Sunday school as more than just coffee and donuts. Right. Now, I'm not opposed to coffee and donuts. That's a real blessing. I, I'm thankful for it. Now, donuts cause extra miles to have to be ran, but... But uh, anyways, uh, coffee and donuts are good for fellowship, but we need to be reaching people and get them in Sunday school and, and uh, try to see them saved. They are having a bus campaign that will start at the same time and all that will culminate into our friend, friend day. And this friend day will be with an emphasis on Sunday school because we're trying to love people God's way and get them into Sunday school. And, and, and so many other efforts you know, that are going on basically to do this. Tell people, that Jesus is the Christ, Amen. the Son of the living God. Amen. We are a conveyor. There's a lot of other words that could be used there, no, no doubt about it. Uh, convey means to carry, bring, take from one place to another. A conveyor, like a conveyor belt maybe, you think about that. It's transporting uh, your luggage as you get off the plane and then you, it's put on that belt and And so a a conveyor there, you you maybe would think about it that way, means to communicate, to impart, to make known, to make known. Listen, we have in our possession the most important truth upon the face of the whole earth. That God is and that he loves you. Even though you've sinned, all of us have sinned. Even though you sinned, Jesus died in your place, was buried according to the scriptures, was, and rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and is alive forevermore and able to save anybody that would call on him by faith. That's the message. That's the message. And sadly, so many people don't know that message. It's a simple message. It's a a simple message that anybody can understand. But would you agree with this today that many people are confused about who Jesus is? There's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is. Oh, he's a good teacher. He's a a religious leader. He started started a religious institution. I mean, all kinds of things have been said about Jesus. Um, But it's not enough to say that he's a good man or he's a good teacher. There's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is. There's a lot of confusion about what church is. What is church? You say, man, Brother Gaddis, that's, I mean, that's simple. Evidently not. What is church? I believe that if, if this church, Southwest Baptist Church, begins to go a wrong direction, it'll be because we're not applying the doctrine of the local church. It's where we'll get off. A lot of people don't understand what, what church is. In fact, a local church is a little redundant. Local church, I, I really, now we often say that, and, and we really don't need to if there's a proper understanding of what church means because I don't need to say local. Because if it's a church, it is local. The, the word means assembly. It means a called out, um, ecclesia, ecclesia, iglesia in, in Spanish. Okay, iglesia It's based off of that, that root word there, iglesia. Ek means out of, call, kaleo means called out. So it's a called out assembly. Well, you say, well, what does that mean? Well, here's what happened. If you're, how many members of this church? How many, you're, you're a member of this church and you're not ashamed of it. Okay, that's good. All right, great. <laughs> All right, that means you've been saved and you've been baptized, and, and you some of you are saved here and baptized here, and, and you're a member of this church, some of you are baptized elsewhere, but you are baptized according to what the Bible says about baptism, that it's got to be by the right church. Authority matters, right mode, immersion, not sprinkling, and there's a lot of things to cover there, and that you're baptized after you were saved. Baptism is not part of your salvation, it follows salvation. But all those people that just raised their hand, they said that, that they, we, somebody had talked to them about their salvation, talked to them about their baptism, talked to them about their life. They're, the people that just raised their hand a moment ago, they're not perfect people. We're not perfect people, but we're members of this church. What this is saying is this, God saved us. He called us. He called you out of of sin. He called you out of the world. And he not not only gave you a home in heaven, but he's given you a church family. Called you out and brought you in. Now there's some maybe that aren't a member here. And we would be glad to talk to you about it. In fact, that's part of the message here today is you need to think about church membership because church membership really matters. We're living in a time when church membership is being de-emphasized. It's more like going to a ball game. You just kind of come and go as you please. Hey, I'm glad for people to visit as long as they need to, as long as they want to. But listen, God's plan, God's plan is for you to be a member, an active participant, an active member of a church that is indeed his church. (laughs) That's a can of worms right there. Huh? Hey, that's his plan. That's his desire. For you to be, to be a member of a church. Okay, look, if, if all that God was interested was seeing a person born again, saved, going to heaven, then we could have a crusade, preach the gospel, see people saved, and move on and never care a thing about them. As long as they get saved and go to heaven. But, but wait a minute, hang on. That's not all he came to do. He came, listen to this, He came to redeem. He came to reconcile us to God. He came to set right what's wrong. He came to buy you back. He came, you see, uh, as the lady's saying, um, that that we sin and, and, and then sin and this price on sin is death, separation from God, and 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 when sin entered into the world, then there's a problem between God and man that affects his eternity. But it also affects his life today. And so what he intends to do by the new creation, listen to this, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. He's a new creation. He's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So God's not satisfied just when he saves you. Now, if you listen, is everybody following this right here? If you're saved, you're saved forever because you are born into God's family permanently, permanently His child. Does that mean you won't sin again? Because we will sin, but just like I would not say to my sons, "All right, that's it. You cross the line. You're no longer a Gaddis." No, I won't say that to them. I will chasten them lovingly. I'll try to get their attention lovingly. I'll, I'll work to, to get, the, get them back in fellowship, but I do not cut them off. No, I, I don't do that. God doesn't do that with his children. When you're saved, you're saved forever. Nothing changes about the status of your salvation. Thank God for that. Because if you could lose it, you would have lost it a long time ago. I'd lose it every day. You'd lose it because what sin would cost you to lose it? Which one? Well, you say, well, the big ones. Which ones are big ones? Uh, what big one according to who? When we talk about God, what sin is little to God? I realize some sins have greater consequences to it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not naive enough to think that that's not the case. In fact, God's word bears that out. But, but listen, uh, hey, listen, your salvation is not up to you in the beginning. It's not up to you now. But see, his plan, I'm just I'm trying to get to the message. I really am. His plan is not just to save your soul. His plan is to change your very life, which means you need to be in a place where your life can be changed, which means you need to be in a church family where it can work in your heart every single day, every single week. You say, well, I don't think you have to be in church to change. I don't think you can go against what he said and change. Hang on, wait, wait a minute. I just want to be clear here. I'm not the one that came up with the idea of, uh, of, of ch- what the local chur- church is. You say, well, you're a pastor. Well, I didn't come up with it. I'm just preaching it. Amen. He's the one that originated. He's the one that started it. He's the one that says how it is. We ought to let the one that started it be the one that says how it ought to run. Amen. And be how it is. see. And he's the one that said you need to be in a church family and a member of the church and, and treat your church membership not like you treat your gym membership showing up every now and then. Oh. <laughs> oops. Brother Ted <dad> said oops. <laughs> <laughs> hey, look, there's just a lot of confusion about church. Uh, there's this idea about the universal church that all saved people are part of the church. There's that idea. Is that True. Is that true? A called out assembly. Well, if, you got, if, you, if it has to be assembled, then that means it's got to be together. That means it cannot be universal. I'm not a part of a universal church. Not according to the definition. Somebody says, well, he's done so much for the body of Christ. And what they're talking about, they're saying that there's some universal body of Christ. Every time you see body in the New Testament, it's talking about, as far as when it's talking about the church, it's talking about a local assembly. I'm being redundant by saying local. Listen to this. I thought about it this way. In fact, I thought about giving it this title, but then I thought, wait a minute, that's not the whole message here. And I don't need to be off on that tangent and just, it's a real good tangent. It's a biblical tangent. Okay. It's, 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 it's a biblical, uh, yeah, it's biblical. The only thing universal about the church is its message. The message needs to go universally. The message needs to go everywhere. But the church is not everywhere. I mean, you look it up in, in dictionaries or or lexicons, and you'll see people say the whole body of Christians scattered throughout the earth. Gingrich says, the church universal, to which all believers belong. But that's not what you see in the New Testament. Okay, so for example, in the matter of church discipline, when it says if, if a person is not right, then you go and you talk to them alone. If they won't listen to you, then you go and get somebody else to go along with you and you, and, they, and you both talk to them. If they won't listen to you, then you tell it to the church. What does that mean? Put it on Facebook? Tell it to everybody? No. No, but do you see it? Tell it to the church. Well, I, if a church is universal, I can't tell it to everybody. But if we've got a problem here within our church that needs to be dealt with, then I can come before this assembly and say, listen, folks, there's a there's a man here that's not in God's will. He's a mirror of this church and he needs to be restored. He needs to be reached out to. And I want to encourage you to reach out to this individual and, and try to be a help to him and help him get it back in. Now, that's feasible. But to tell it to the church, you can't do that. There's to be no schism in the body. No division in the body, no division in the church. Well, if, if the church is made up of all the saved people universally, is, is there a schism in the body? A bunch of them. But when he has the idea, he gave it to us, dear, dearly beloved. He gave it to us. It's his, it's his plan and it's a local assembly. It has to be. And then we can have unity within the church. Another false idea is the church started at Pentecost. That's not right. Jesus said, I will build my church. In Matthew chapter 18, just two more chapters over, he says, like I just quoted a moment ago, tell it to the church, and he's referring to those disciples. In fact, people that hold to the church starting in Pentecost say, here, Matthew, listen, listen to this, listen to this, somebody, listen to this. <laughs> Somebody said, Matthew must have put words in Jesus' mouth. Because if Jesus actually said church, that would indicate that the church started before Pentecost. Yes! Yes! You're right! That's it! That's right there! Some say Peter started the church and he's the first pope. Some say, you don't have to go to church to worship God. I can worship God while I'm in nature. I can worship God while I'm in my bow stand. You're not worshiping God. Now, I try to pray. I really do. As I'm deer hunting, I try to pray, Lord, help me to see them. I try I try to commune with God. I really do. I'll try to do sometimes you get out there, it's it's just crazy to get out there early in the morning. I do my devotions or I try to. They're not good. It's not that the Bible's not good. I'm not good at reading it at that time of the morning. It's just not good. I'm not I'm paying attention. You can I'm just simply saying, you can't really worship God. You can't really give God your attention while you're out there looking for deer. Got a friend named Chad Lee Master, and he pastors up in Garnett, Kansas, and it's out in the country, and 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 so he's got windows, you know, in the in the auditorium, and about and and he was preaching one Sunday morning, and a ten-point buck came up, and everybody <laughs> was looking outside the window, and he said, "I just had to stop the service. Oh, look, everybody, <laughs> there's a beautiful part of God's creation. All right, now let's come back to the text right here. <sighs> Can you imagine?" Some say, well, I just don't believe in organized religion. Well, you found a good place right here. (laughs) There, and got that. (laughs) We try to be organized. (laughs) And then then you see marquees like this. Tired of church? Tired of church? Come as you are. Come come and and rock with the flock and jam with the lamb. I'll tell you what that is. I've seen that on a marquee. and I, I, I hate even to say that. That's blasphemous. That's bringing our holy, righteous God down to the level like he's one of us. Listen, dear friend, that's not right. And, but, but there's this idea you tired of church? You tired of church? Come someplace where it's more lively. Well, I think this is lively. Hey, listen, the problem is not God's design of the church. We don't need to find or come up with something more novel or more trendy or more modern, but what we need to do is get back to what he said right here about what church is. Yeah, there's a lot of confusion. A lot of confusion. Well, here they are in, in Caesarea Philippi. And I mean, the setting itself is significant because there's a lot of confusion just in that realm, in that region, about, about religion. And, and you had Greek gods worship. Caesarea Philippi was the, the birthplace of, quote, quote, birthplace of this Greek god named Pon, that was, uh, you, you'd see him uh, sometimes with a, a goat head but a man's body. Uh, There were shrines and temples. There was was the mantra, Caesar is Lord. It was astounding. I read my Bible this morning in John chapter number 19, and, and even the Jews got in on that, and they said, we have no Lord but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. What an astounding statement for Jews to make. There's all this religious confusion about, about uh, the deities and, and the multiplicity of gods. And, and there's this religious diversity and pluralism and inclusivism and relative thinking, your truth and my truth. Hey, listen, there can only be one truth. So, in the midst of all that moral confusion, in the midst of all that, that religious confusion, Jesus said, Who do men say that I am, the Son of Man am? And he, they said this Well, some say that you're John the Baptist. And we, we acknowledged this two weeks ago. At least they acknowledged that he was a Baptist. They got that right. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say that you're Elijah. Some say that you're one of the other prophets. In other words, they said, well, we recognize that you're somebody significant. But I want to submit to you this morning that it's not enough for you to recognize that he is somebody significant. You've got to recognize for who he is. That would be the living son of God. I'm talking about God in the flesh. You've got to recognize who he is. And so he asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the promised Messiah. You're the son of God. You're the son of man. He's the great I am. Hey, listen, Peter got it right. He said, listen, you are the Christ. And and Jesus said, Simon Bar-Jonah, in other words, son of Jonah, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto thee. You didn't get this from man. You didn't get this from yourself. You got this revelation from God. And what we're saying here in this text is that you're either going to go by what God has revealed or what you rationalize, what you reason, what you think. I'd much rather church today. I'd much rather guest today. I'd much rather go by what God says than what I say or what any other man says. Let's look at our text again in verse number 18. Everybody doing all right? Verse number 18, he said to Peter, based on what Peter said, I say unto thee that thou art Peter. I say also unto thee, I say also unto thee, thou art Peter. And upon this rock I'll build my church. Hang on, wait a minute. Why is he saying that right then? Why is he saying that right then? Here's what we can be guilty of. We can just jump right to verse number 18 and forget what has just been said in the previous verses. Well, what has been said in the previous verses is an acknowledgement that there's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is and even about what salvation is. True. True. Is there confusion among, even today, is there confusion about who Jesus is and about what salvation is? Let me ask you this. Is there confusion among the Filipino people about what salvation is and who Jesus is? There is. Is there confusion among even the Hispanic population as to who Jesus is and what he came to do? There is. Is there confusion among Pacific North, North Islanders or Pacific Islanders? There is. Is there confusion right here in Oklahoma City about who Jesus is and what he came to do and about what salvation is? There is. Then how, here's the question, how then do we get, this great Bible truth, this monumental Bible truth, this central Bible truth, the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of the living God, how then do we get that truth to the confused world? To the point where not only are they saved, but that their lives can be transformed. There's one vehicle and only one, one plan and only one plan, and that would be God's plan, that'd be Jesus' plan, and that would be the local church. It's not, some, it's not some denominational building or machinery. It's not some crusade that somebody puts on. It's not some, it's not some uh, organization that maybe do many, many good things. Listen, only the church that Jesus started, only the church that has his doctrine, only that church has the authority to baptize and to ex- exercise the Lord's Supper and church discipline and to help people to grow. In fact, you've got to be in a local church to grow the way God wants you to grow. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm very thankful that any time somebody is saved because they're di- driving down the road and they hear the gospel on the radio. Are you listening to me? I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for a crusade maybe that comes to town. Now, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be very narrow in my view of how, what kind of crusade that ought to be. and what to Because doctrine matters, friend. We can't say, well, we can participate with this group and that group. Yeah, they believe you're saved by works. We believe that you're saved by grace, but hey, pfft. No, you can't say, hey, f-. you can't say that. No, because if it's by grace, it can't be by works. You say, well, I think it can be both. Absolutely impossible. That's, that's like trying to say that Buddhism is true and Christianity is true. They're incompatible. They're incompatible. You, you can't say that both are true. Okay, you say, well, what if somebody's really sincere? What if they're like really, really sincere? Like really sincere. Well, how sincere are they? Really sincere. Okay, that's a glass of poison sitting right there. But I sincerely believe that it's water. If I drink that and it's poison, now it's water. I believe. (laughs) Who brought it out today? I'm just kidding. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter how sincere I am in my false belief. If that's poison, friend, my my false belief, my ideas about it is not going to change the very nature of it. So somebody believes that worshiping their ancestors is is the way that they can be forgiven or somebody believes that if if they will do more good that they'll be absorbed into into the gods and and so forth. Somebody believes whatever they want to believe, they can believe. No, listen, they'll believe that and go to hell. They need to hear the truth. And having heard the truth and having been saved, then they need to follow the Lord in baptism and they need to begin to grow. And there's only one entity that has been authorized to do so. And that's the church that Jesus started. You say, man, that's, that's, that's pretty narrow, friend. Well, how narrow is Jesus? I want to be as narrow as Jesus is. And if I'm, if I'm, it's not possible to be at fault if you're with Jesus. Because he's right. Well, I think he was talking to Peter, and that Peter is the one that this whole thing's built on. Because look at the text, he says, Does everybody understand why he said what he's saying? Can we move on from that? He said what he's saying about that because of the great message. It's got to get out and life changing message that it is. Then he says, Thou art Peter. Thou art Peter, please pay careful attention right here. Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. See? He started it on Peter. Now, I know the vast majority of this church knows that that's not right. but There might be somebody here that says, well, it sure seems like like that's what he's saying. But it's not what he's saying at all. In fact, even Peter didn't believe that. I think, hello, hello, everybody still here? I think if anybody knew, I think if if it was that that Jesus said, I'm gonna build the church on you, Peter, that Peter would have known that. I've got 10 reasons with connected reasons as why Peter is not the one that Jesus is referring to here. And one of them comes straight from Peter when he says to the elders that are among you, who's a fellow elder, And he talked about the chief shepherd. Peter himself said, I'm not a pope. I'm not the one that the church is built on. Okay, so let me give you real quick. Can you listen to this? Okay, there's five that'll listen. I'd love to have more. Reasons why Jesus is not saying you're Peter I'm gonna build it on you. Number one would be the terms that are used. He says, thou art Peter, which is Petras. Petras, when you look it up, is masculine, and it, and it means isolated stone or pebble. A detached stone, a movable stone. Okay, let me say it this way, where we'd, we'd all get it. A piece of gravel. You don't build a building on a piece of gravel. You are Petras upon this Petra. Two different Greek terms. Related, but not synonymous. You are Petros; you're a little movable stone. I'm going to build this church on the Petra. Feminine, it's, it's not even the same gender as far as its, it's term, because he's referring to the acknowledgement of what Peter said, that Peter just said, you're the Christ. Now, if, okay, let me, let me stick with this right here. Everybody with me? He says, you're a movable stone. I'm going to build a church on an immovable stone. Petra, Petra is like the rock of Gibraltar. Petra is an immovable stone. It's a bedrock. It's a massive rock. When my, when my parents uh, cleared off a space in, in Hemet uh, Hill, uh, on Hemet Hill Road in Bowling Green, Kentucky, they literally had people thinking that they were crazy because they were going to be building on a rock. But listen, that house, that house was built on a firm foundation because it was built on solid rock. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. Peter, I'm not going to build this on you. You are movable. I'm going to build this on me. I don't move. That's number one. Number two is Peter would not be sufficient. He was movable. Number three, if Jesus had met Peter, he would say, I'm going to build a church on you. But he said this rock, different pronoun. I'm probably going to go too too fast if you're trying to take notes on this and I'll give it to you later if you want it. But number four, none of the New Testament writers recognize Peter as the foundation of the church. A little subset of that would be this. In Acts chapter number eight, they sent Peter to find out what was going on. If Peter was ahead, wouldn't he send somebody else? In in Acts chapter 11, they called on Peter to give an account for what in the world happened in Acts chapter 10. If he was the head of the church, would he have to give an account to anybody? Uh, Number five. Those are two bonus ones. Number five. If Peter was the one that Jesus was referring to here, and he's the head of the church, then why did they still have an argument about who's the greatest? (laughs) That would have settled it right there. Number six, there's no succession of popes or leaders that followed Peter. Number seven, he's not involved in the startup of all churches. In fact, Paul started more than Peter. Number uh, eight, James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, not Peter. Peter. Number nine, Peter didn't head up the Jerusalem council of Acts chapter number 15. James did. Number 10, Paul rebuked Peter. When have you known a preacher to rebuke a pope? Well, independent Baptists do all the time, but when, (laughs) when, if he was legitimately the pope, when would you expect that a, a missionary would rebuke the pope? No, doesn't happen. So I submit to you based on those 10 reasons, plus one bonus that Peter didn't view himself as the head of the church as reason to say, it wasn't built on Peter, it was built on Jesus Christ and him alone. Thou art Peter, upon this rock, I will build my church. We've already dealt with the aspect of the fact that the church is not a universal invisible body. And therefore, not everything that calls itself a church is a church. No more could I go and say, well, I want to have a Major League Baseball team. I'm going to get jerseys. I'm going to get baseball players. I'm going to get a field. I'm going to pay money. I'm going to get a a plane. Going to need some money. And I'm going to have myself a Major League Baseball team. I'm telling you, they're not letting me in the 30. They're already playing 162 162? 162 games. They're already playing that many games. They're They're not going to let me in. No, no, no. Just because I call my ball team a church, hey, hey, hang on. Just because I call my ball team a ball team, a major league baseball team, does not mean that I'm officially one until they authorize me. So a lot of things that are calling itself a church are not indeed a church because it's not authorized to. And here's one reason: because only churches that are indeed His churches start churches. An individual can't go out here and say, "Well, I want to start a church." You can't do that. Not have His authority behind you. No more can I say, well, I want to start a Chick-fil-A and have one of my kids dress up in a cow costume and say, hey, eat more chicken. And my wife can make some really good chicken. But I can't call myself a Chick-fil-A just because I want to. I've got to be authorized. Hey, I'm telling you, not everything that calls itself a church is a church. And that's why we're particular about what baptisms we receive, because it's got to have the right lineage and it's got to have the right doctrine. My mom had to be baptized when she came to Grace Baptist Church in Bowling Green, Kentucky because she was coming from, a, from, from a, uh, a general Baptist church, very similar to like the free will Baptist in that this, they believe you can lose your salvation. Well, that's not what Jesus taught. That's not the doctrine. And therefore, they didn't have the authorization. They didn't have the authority to baptize because they weren't teaching what Jesus taught. Because baptism is about identification. And you're identifying with a body of belief and a body of believers. So I'm glad my mom was willing to be baptized. I'm here today as a result of it. The truth about Jesus' identity is is made known. It's conveyed through the churches that He started. he started the first one, we're reading it right here. And that church started more churches. And those churches started more churches and those churches started more churches and those churches started more churches. So that in 1951, the church was started right here on the south side of town because some people up on the north side of town from Grace Baptist Church got concerned about what was going on in the growth on the south side of Oklahoma City. And they said there needs to be a church down there so that there'd be people able to hear the gospel on the south side of the river as well. And and, and, and they'd be able to hear the gospel and be able to grow and be in a church. And, and they called their first pastor, a missionary, and he became the he became the pastor of that church. And then there's been other pastors through the through the time of, of uh, that had passed this church. But here's why this church exists. It's because of what Jesus started here and the impact that it has had through the years. And we're still holding on to the body of doctrine that he gave us then. We hold on to it now. Because there's more people that need to know the truth that Jesus is a Messiah. And that they can be saved by trusting him. He says to Peter, "Are are we all right? Are we doing okay? I'm thinking, man, this could be three more sermons right here. Thou art Peter, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me me say this to you. We are not on the defense. Gates, gates, gates are at the entry of a city to keep people out. He says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I start. You know what he's saying right there? We're not on the defense, we're on the offense. Going with the gospel, seeing people saved. Seeing them saved from hell. Church planting, let me say it this way, evangelism that results in church planting is a declaration of war. We are in a spiritual battle. This means we can't come here and just play games as a church. This is serious matter. He says, the gates of hell will not prevail. And then he said to Peter, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And basically what he's saying right there, you know, if I give, I give my sons my, my keys, I say, actually, Trevor has the keys in my truck right now. I, <laughs> that's me saying, I'm authorizing you to go get the truck and pull it up closer. It's a real blessing when they get older. It'll scare you, but it's a blessing. I, I give him my key. Here's key uh, number four. This will go to my door. That'll get you in. Right now, you can't get in. It's locked. If you don't, unless you have this. Day of Pentecost, the church didn't start, but the church was made known to the whole world as to what it was, and there were people that was added unto them. If they were added unto them, that means they already were. So God gave Peter the key and said, "Go preach on the day of Pentecost." And he opened up the door, and the Jews were saved. 3,000 of them were saved. And then he took that key and he went to the house of Cornelius and he, figuratively speaking, the door to the Gentiles was open. And so that's what, what Jesus is communicating to Peter. Through you, I'm going to use you to open up the door that others might be saved and churches might be started. Mercy. And then we've already dealt with the last part of the sermon. So how about that? The truth of his identity, of Jesus' identity, must be conveyed to those living in confusion through the churches that he started. Now, now what do you think about this church? If that is God's ordained means through the local church, and it is, you'd be up against Peter, Paul, Timothy, James, and most importantly, Jesus, to try to say otherwise. So, I ask you then, how important is your church family to you. Now there are some here that need to become a part of this church. You've been praying about it and and we would be glad to talk to you more about that. We don't don't try to, uh, here's what I trust. I trust that he builds his church. It's his church. He brings people into it. But he uses us to do so to go out and talk to people. This is a place where you can get support and help. Hey, listen, you're going to go through things in life. You know that. You need a church family. You need it. I wept with a gentleman today. Greeted him. could tell someone, right? We got to pray together. There's some heavy hearts in here. Hey, look, we go through things. Following Him does not exempt us from problems. But I don't know how many times I've heard people say, I don't know how people go through this without a church family. And you know, my answer to that is all is always in my mind this they don't make it well. They don't go through this. You need a church family. You need to be trained. I need to be trained. I need to be raised. Up in the Lord. We need to work together. Yesterday, the young people went to Cornerstone Baptist Church, and I'm telling you, the church was working together under the pastoral leadership of Brother Eric Johnson. And and my soul, that church was just, it was like a beehive of people carrying tables, carrying food, doing this, doing that. Had 300 young people from about 15 different uh, independent Baptist churches from around Oklahoma. It was fantastic. They put a lot of effort into that just so young people could hear the gospel. And hear about Christ. It's wonderful. But the, the church is working together. I love, I love how this church works together. Oh, my soul. One of my favorite times of the week is to get to walk around on Sunday morning and just see this church alive. It's wonderful. You're saved to serve. My friend, my pastoral friend, Brother Brian Carson, pastors of my home church, sent me a clip yesterday. They had a men's work day. <laughs> Saw uh, the Bob Carson out there around the landscaping. They trimmed some of the shrubs and he's raking, raking. See him go over here and cut off one of the limbs. Saw him bent down and picked up the limb and brought it over and put it on the pile. (laughs) He'd say, well, (laughs) why is that such a big deal? He's a He's 102. 102, don't get in your mind, well, I can't serve. I can't do anything. Find a rake, brother. And don't wait till you're 102 to start. I guarantee you this, he's been doing that all my life and then some. Soul winner, prayer warrior, godly man. Um, if the future of Southwest Baptist Church depended on what kind of member you are right now, what would our future be? Tal Wilson was driving around the Seattle area, specifically around Lakewood, Tacoma, DuPont, that area. Driving around, and here's why he's driving around. He's trying to find a church he could go to. He said, he said to me, I was trying to find a church that would be preaching the truth. He's probably about my age, all tattooed up. Been in prison, out of prison. Had his son maybe every other weekend or something like that. Just driving around Tacoma area trying to find a church. And then he prayed. He was driving his car and he said, God, God, I don't know where to go. There's churches there, all at least that's what it says in name. I don't know where to go. Would you show me? He got home, and there was a track on his door from Lakewood Baptist Temple. You know why, friend? Because there's a God in heaven that cares about a Tal Wilson. It does not matter what he's done in his past. It's still a whosoever will may come. And thank God, back in February, he came and he got saved. And he's been in that church ever since that time. And he was there all nights of the revival. And God's doing something wonderful in his life. You know why? Because of what Jesus started is what we need to keep going. And that's the church that he did. We are conveyors of the truth. Now, I wonder who was driving around Oklahoma City last night saying, I just don't, I wonder where to go to church. And maybe even prayed, God would just show me. But I wonder how many doors didn't have a track on it. Now there's a lot of people out knocking doors yesterday for which I'm glad. But maybe not as many as it ought to have been. And I wonder if we missed some doors. Let's be the church that God wants us to be. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you. You're so wise in giving us the church family. The doctrine of the local church has been so attacked, so neglected, so ignored, so twisted, so humanized. Lord, we dare not. God, keep us from it. Help us to see any way that we have in any ways tainted your idea of what the church ought to be. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be right with you just by reading scripture. And, and, and Lord, I'm thankful to be able to say in this prayer publicly, even just that a study of the scripture would lead us right to where we are. And it's such a blessing. I'm thankful for that. I know we've got a lot of growing to do. I know that we can get complacent. We can get carnal. We can get, we can get uh, a about the work that you've given us to do. And I pray you'd give us revival as a result of that. Oh God. I pray for the members of Southwest Baptist Church. I'm understanding your word that it says that if we're going to see that judgment must begin, it must begin at the house of God. And so, Lord, I know that it's got to begin with us being right with you. So I pray that you'd help us, purge us, cleanse us that we might be what you want us to be as Southwest Baptist Church, reaching not just South Oklahoma City, but also beyond that into Moore and into Norman and up to Enid, up Edmond and Enid, as far as that even, but, but then also the recognition that some places are out of our reach, like even Shawnee, and I thank you for the Shawnee Baptist Church, and the Calvary Baptist Church, the Lighthouse Baptist Church, and the church down in Brazil, and Lord, all around the globe, Because of what your plan is, dear God, you're so wise. We thank you for it. Now, I do pray for anybody here. While the message has been about the local church, Lord, I also pray for those that need salvation. Would you help them to get that matter settled? And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name.